Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, in anticipation of this fall's election, the Confluence Cast is endeavoring to introduce Columbus voters to the 12 council and two mayoral candidates in their own words. When Lourdes Barroso de Padilla first won her seat on Columbus City Council in 2021, she was the first Latina to serve in the role, a role that she plans to continue as she runs unopposed for re-election to Council District 8 this November. In today's interview, she talks about her background and goes a lot deeper into the conversations around growth, transportation, and opportunity. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here with Columbus City Councilwoman Lourdes Barroso de Padilla, you are running for District 8 of Council. First of all, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm well. First of all, tell us about yourself. What brings you to office and to this campaign coming up? Sure. Um, so I'm finishing my second year on council, but mm-hmm. um, I am the daughter of immigrants. Okay. My parents are from Cuba, and um, they came to Columbus. Uh, you know, the, shockingly, there's not a direct uh, pipeline from Havana, Cuba, to Columbus, Ohio. Like most immigrants, migrants, or refugees, they knew somebody. Yeah. And so they came with my sisters in the 70s, and I was born six years later. Okay. Um, we have been lifelong Eastsiders. My dad's first job was at the Kahiki, and my mom's first job was at uh, my aunt's beauty shop. My aunt was the reason that we came here. I was a good family friend. Okay. Um, and she cut up, you know, or she swept hair and washed heads for a quarter ahead and learned English by watching soap operas. And uh, my literally the, my entire existence was like the our first apartment was at what was then Beverly Manor, later became Greenbrier, was, is the site of Afrocentric High School now. Oh, okay. An apartment on Whitehall and then the house that my parents actually live in now. Okay. Um, which is where my mother still lives to this day. And it's the only family home that we have, a house that my mother still pays for to this day, unfortunately. Um, and I grew up a total Columbus kid ex- existence, you know, going to... I mean, literally, my high school and middle school and elementary school were all within walking distance of my house, except for the two years I was busted, bussed uh, by Franklin Park. Like, okay. So literally, four to five miles, that was my life. And you go uh, to high school? Eastmore. Pe- Eastmore okay. High School. People ask. Yeah. No, I, this is a town that asks. It tells me a lot about you. Yeah. Once I know what high school you went to. Um, but I, after high school, did... A, program called City Year. It's an AmeriCorps program. Yeah. So I did two years of service as a younger person. And do they let you keep the khakis and the jacket? Do you do? You get to okay. keep the whole outfit. <laughs> I, so I actually have some of it. To well, this. I imagine you have the red jacket. Right? I do. Yeah. I do. I don't wear the khakis, but I right. have them. Okay. Pleated front khakis, not a good look for a <laughs> curvy girl. I'm just going to let you know. But, um, but I worked on the south side of Columbus, turning an old church into a community center. And okay. that was really a turning point for me. And I mean, it's crazy to say that at like 17. But um, I just, I love the work. I loved, we we were, you know, we had after school program and a free store where people could shop with dignity. So you came in and we acted like you were in a real store. Like what, what sizes do you need? And we pulled things for you and we mm-hmm. wrapped it up. And 
senior breakfast program and all these things that, you know, we never asked the community what they wanted. So we started knocking on doors. And that's where I learned um, a couple things. Number one, not all communities look the same, but they certainly feel the same, right? Okay. So when I walked in and I talked to people in their houses, they wanted the same things. The same prosperity that brought my parents to Columbus lives in every corner of the city. It lived in the South Side, right? People wanted better jobs. They wanted better for their kids. They wanted better for themselves. Um, I learned that proximity is everything, right? Mm -hmm. That being proximate to each other, we see each other's humanity and we understand each other. And like all the differences that our eyes see by talking, we see that we're more alike than we are different. Mm -hmm. And I learned to listen, which is really hard as a mother of teenagers, I know, (laughs) to really listen to what people want. Because even when they couldn't articulate it, they told you inherently in the stories or the Mm. things that they, you know, the experiences that they shared. So I knew then that service was going to be part of my life no matter what. Um, And I've been with the organization for 30 years. I still work at City Air. I work for our headquarters now. And, um, you know, I got into politics really during the Obama campaign. I mean, I I had volunteered for the Kerry campaign when I lived in Boston for a while. Mm -hmm. And then... During the Obama campaign, I was helping getting people registered to vote and talking to people about why it was important. And I think it was such an inspirational time for the country. And we looked at politics different. Um, And so I think, you know, that caught fire. And it certainly inspired me to think about what my next was and what I wanted to do with my life. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to be in office or wanted to work for a politician. And so essentially it was through that work that I really started to get more engaged and involved in Columbus after I came, after I moved back here Mm -hmm. from living on the East coast for a while. And so worked with a lot of different organizations and just saw the incredible growth that Columbus was going through Mm -hmm. and how Columbus was changing. And, you know, coming from Boston where I was paying almost $2,000 for rent in 20 in 2006. Okay. Yeah. Right. I saw us on that trajectory mm-hmm. as a city. And so I wanted to be part of I, I firmly believe that Columbus is on the precipice of of deciding what kind of city we want to be. OK. And to be part of that process and to give voice to it from, you know, um, from my lived experiences. I mean, immigrants, migrants and refugees are the number one factor behind our population growth. Yet my parents in the 50 years that they've been in this country have never seen anyone locally who looks like them or has their shared experience sitting at the table making decisions for them. Mm. So the population of immigrants, migrants, and refugees, are it's going to get up to, we have like 150-some thousand. I mean, and those numbers are shaky, I believe, right. because census and other things and how we count people. But over the course of the next 20 years, that number, projections are that it could get up to a million, no, sorry, by 2050, it could get up to a million. Hmm. here in the city of Columbus. And that changes the city, yeah. right? And how are we preparing ourselves for that change? And how are we thinking about and considering those communities? Because it's an asset that they chose us, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's what makes a city great. It adds to your to the culture of a city. It adds to the diversity of the city. It adds to all the city assets. And so, um, and I deeply believe that representation is important. And it's more than just representing... Um, 
you know, uh, immigrants, migrants, or refugees, feeling like I'm part of that community as a first-generation American. It's also about all the rest of my life experiences, you know, doing AmeriCorps, serving my country in a very different way, mm-hmm. right? Being proximate to community, being a community organizer. I just felt like that was a different perspective that I could bring to council. And when I really started to see that I could um, forge a path to really, you know, uh, be the first Latina. And for me, it wasn't just about being the first, right? It's about setting the path for the fourth and the fifth and the sixth after me. Mm-hmm. And if I could do it, then I know that we could do that for the African diaspora. We could do it for the Asian diaspora. We could do it for all of these other folks who have never been on council before, who have never brought their perspective experiences to council to help to change the conversation. And so that's really what led me on this path. And, you know, once I got into the in council, you'll see that those have essentially been all of my priorities since being um, on council. Talk us through some of the issues that are facing Columbus. What are the th- and what? How are you and how would you address those on council? Um, you know, it's interesting because I think our growth is something that I think we talk about a lot, but I'm not sure that people really understand mm-hmm. <laughs> what that means, right? When we talk about density what that means and what that looks like, right? When we talk about um, having a true bus rapid transit system, what that looks like, building these corridors that we talk about that we want to do with Link Us, mm-hmm. it's hard for people to visualize. Like, why would why would a bus line, why would we develop around a bus line, right? Like, these are concepts that I think we haven't done the best job of really having a community conversation with our residents about what that means and how that's going to change our city, our neighborhoods, and literally, quite frankly, their lives, right? Mm-hmm. And I think with with that growth, it brings both prosperity and opportunity, but also challenges. Mm-hmm. Because none of, the cha- none of the challenges that we had before go away. And quite frankly, we've had a lot of these challenges before, right? We had a transportation challenge. I mean, tell me a time in the city where someone couldn't get somewhere because they didn't have a car. Right. Right. Or because CODA didn't have all of the lines that we needed, you know, or you couldn't get to that great job because, you know, you're I mean, my mother has never driven a day in her life. Okay. So CODA quite literally was our second car Mm -hmm. growing up. And so my mother used to work right downtown at a medicine packing company that then moved to the west side of Columbus and we lived on the east side. So literally my mother spent almost four hours a day commuting to that job. That's a lot of time on the number 10. Yes. And if anything happened, anything, a car accident, a freeway shutdown or whatever, we weren't seeing my mom for a while. (laughs) And, you know, my mom was the one who cooked dinner. My mom was the one who I mean, you know, when she worked different shifts, it affected it differently. So I understand the complexities of what it looks like when when that when you're you don't have access. Right. And so all of those things are um, I mean, it, it. The growth is driving all of the things that we're talking about today, the housing crisis, transportation, um, when we're talking about economic development, Mm -hmm. um, everything that we're talking about really centers around that growth. I just think it's about how do we connect the dots for folks and how do we help them come to a place of understanding what this change is going to look like for them. Great. Talk to us about how you feel about the new districting system and how that's going to basically affect uh, folks. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I think that we've had one structure of government 
here in the city of Columbus for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Right. And we heard the people when they said we want more representation. And I feel I mean, theoretically, and I know council president always gives this analogy, which I think is a good one. You know, all city council members could live in like one apartment building. Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel like, um, you know, I will say as a lifelong East Sider. Right. I understand the East Side in a way that other folks might. Right. I understand that our basements flood because of because of um we live like on a downslope and we're yep. right by like alum creek i understand that um or where alum creek you know, yeah. comes through i understand um the challenges that we have on broad street and mcnaughton i understand um the the significance of isla Mall and that property and what mm-hmm. that could mean for the whole east side corridor i understand what it means to live between two other municipalities like whitehaw and bexley mm-hmm. right and to drive in and out of them and to see the growth of those areas and how it's improving and then it looks very different when you're in columbus and that is unique to me because that's my home. That's where right. I lived. I also lived on the South side for 11 years. Right. And fundamentally understand parts of the South side from my time being there for a decade. And so I think that having that representation is so important for our residents. And I feel that, right. If you feel like the South side has, or this West side has been struggling for years and they haven't had representation for years mm-hmm. in your mind, you can very easily draw a correlation to like, well, what about us? Right. And so the need for residents to feel like they have that, that representation, I think is important. I also understand that, you know, I've lived in other cities where we've had different structures where, you know, districts start to fight with other districts about what they want and what they need and who's going to get what this go around. And, you know, the way that the district maps are drawn, I mean, there are some districts that are more, are are differently resourced than other districts, right? I mean, if you look at District 7, it has literally everything in it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> literally, it's the heart of the city, right? Yeah. And so that feels very different when you get to District 8 and District 9 or District 1 who are like on the edges of the city. And that, mm-hmm. and it feels very different to live out there, right? Yeah. And so I think that um, this was a compromise. This was a compromise to say, how do we kind of have the best of both worlds of folks feeling like they have representation, but then also feeling... Um, Feeling as connected to the east side as I do to every part of the city. Mm-hmm. Feeling like I am, I represent the south side and the west side and the north side and the far east and whatever just as much as I represent my little part of the city, right? right. And so we're going to try it and yeah. we're going to see how this works and folks should hold us accountable and then we get an opportunity to review it and say this is the thing that works and this is the thing that doesn't work. And just to translate back what you're saying, it's basically based on geographic proximity, Mm -hmm. which is something you were talking about a second ago. It's important to have representation, but that you still remain accountable to every every citizen in the city. Yes, because I think that when once we do again, I think of other places, even Cleveland, Mm -hmm. that's not that far away. Right. When you're in that ward system, it starts to get really tricky when you talk about development, when you talk about zoning, when you talk about all of these other things. And I think that it has been the approach, you know, whether, however people feel about it, it's our approach to think about and look at the whole city, mm-hmm. right? And so are, is there a better job that we could do? Absolutely. There's always going to be a better job that we could do. I think that we're on the track to doing that, right? But we're going to see how this districting thing works. And, you know, my hope is that once this catches on, people understand it. And, you know, we, we don't have another election where there's, you know, nine candidates with only three opponents. Yeah. 
right? I hope not. Mm-hmm. Um, last question. Well, last big bucketed question. Sure. Uh, what do you bring to the table? Why should folks vote for you? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, I'll, I'll kind of start or I'll end kind of where I started. I mean, I think that I bring a different perspective to city council. And I think my hope is that people have seen that. People have seen it in the work that we've done. We were able to pass some pay equity legislation that um, essentially removes uh, employers from asking your past salary history from Mm -hmm. the application process. And we did that um, because, you know, I, I, women are still, we're still fighting for, I mean, I was about to say a bad word. Uh, That's okay. Shoot, shoot. <laughs> we're still fighting for equal rights, yeah. right? As women, and so we're not getting paid um, what we should, what we deserve to get paid. And you, and and we're sliding backwards. I mean, Latina Equal Pay Day was it has gone back almost two full months than where we started before the pandemic, right? Mm. So we're making less money on the dollar than like our white male counterparts, Mm -hmm. right? And so this was a small way for us to move closer to pay equity, to make it a true salary negotiation between an employer and a potential employee. And quite frankly, this means everyone makes more money. Even even the white dude that already makes more money than I do, mm-hmm. you're welcome. So <laughs> uh, we, we, we have, um, we've done that. We've done some really solid work around thinking about transportation. And I, I'm not sure, I'll be completely candid, with all the transportation issues I shared, I'm not sure that I always thought about transportation as an equity issue in the way that I do now. From like street resurfacing to making sure that pothole doesn't pop that tire mm-hmm. that I was going to send your life into chaos because you're going to have to get a payday loan to pay for that tire or get like a shitty tire from that tire place down the road and you're going to have to keep paying for it. And then eventually you're going to realize you need the good tire and you're still going to have to make that expense, right? Like infrastructure is important to people's lives every day. And that's ultimately the thing that they care about. I get more calls like pay equity was great and people love that. Mm -hmm. You know what they really care about? A sidewalk. (laughs) They really care about their street. They really care about, you know, a bus not getting there on time. They really care about the things that affects them and their families and their neighborhoods and the people that they love every day. And I think that's what our office and my office is, we're all three Latina. We're all three first-generation Americans. We bring different perspectives. We really work on things as a team together, as an office, to really push on the perspectives. We really try to listen to residents and, and elevate their concerns, pull back legislation sometimes when we can't, vote no on the things even when it's not popular. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at the things that we've been able to both push forward and the places where we have said no, I think that folks can see, um, you know, that when I came into office, I wanted to ensure that my decisions as a legislator were, um, were solely focused on the prosperity of our people and our families. And every decision for me, whether it's a zoning decision or it's, you know, buy more refuge trucks, right? It is in how is this helping our people and our families. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you look at our record, my record, you will see that that's consistent. And and I think that's why people should vote for me. And quite frankly, I mean, the unfortunate truth is (laughs) right now they don't have another choice. Right. My hope is that they do. Yeah. Right. They did have another choice in 2021. They chose me and I hope that they continue to do that. And I hope that I continue um, to, you know, I, I, 
again, I think that in, in my next election cycle, I hope to have someone who challenges that so that the people really truly do have a choice, but that always in any scenario, even in one where I don't have an opponent, that they're still holding me accountable. Absolutely. I end every interview with two questions. What do you think Columbus is doing well? And what do you think Columbus is not doing so well? Mm, I think that we are on track to planning for our growth well. Okay. And what I mean by that is I think that we are really looking at other cities, similar cities, mm-hmm. an Austin, a Charlotte, et cetera, that, that the growth overcame them overcame them yes Yes, certainly like a storm yep right and they and they weren't able to keep up and they lost opportunities and i think that you know we are we put together a house a a comprehensive housing plan Mm -hmm. um to really think about how are we again um getting more housing stock out there but but doing so in the most equitable fashion and thinking about all facets from like how do we make home ownership, which is one of the things I'm championing. How do we make it more accessible to people and how do we put them on a path to home ownership mm-hmm. to how are we protecting tenants and their rights when they're in their place in, in, um, their homes, um, to bus rapid transit, working on link us and really thinking about get really making a concerted effort to educate folks, to get us rap- bus rapid transit. Mm-hmm. You know, I know folks wanted a very sexy light rail, this, this is what we're getting. This is what we're getting. And and I assure people, bus rapid transit, it does feel like a train. Yeah. You know, it's more, it's quicker, it's more efficient. There's more ways to pay. Um, I think that that is also going to be a strategy for housing. That's also going to be a strategy for our growth. That's also going to be a strategy for economic development. Um, so I think that we're on the road to building out what our growth looks like and addressing it in a way that other cities weren't ready and what are we not doing so well? I don't think we're good storytellers. Okay. I don't and what and, and and what I mean by a story is the most basic meaning of the story. Like I don't think that we do the best job of always educating our community about the things that matter. Mhm. Right? And are you talking about Columbus as a whole, or are you talking about council? Or are you talking about mm-hmm. uh, Columbusites residents? Yeah, I think I, I'm. I think I'm talking more about city government, like okay, city council. That's fair. I don't. Um, I don't think that we. And I think I thought about both of these questions from a council perspective or from a city perspective. Fair. Yeah. I think that we don't do a good job of like of 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 really explaining to folks, you know, the things that are happening every Monday night down at council. Uh huh. And that is evident from like even attendance at council, right? There are some things that I'm like, oh my gosh, this is huge. And we, you know, then no one shows up. Yeah. And like another thing that, you know, perhaps they've heard a story or, you know, they've learned from their area commission or a place like the Columbus Underground says, hey guys, or something happens on Twitter. Then we get a bunch of people that show up. Yeah. Right. I don't think we do a good job. I don't think, I also don't think we're modern. Like we don't use TikTok and Twitter and all these things to our advantage. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that we could be doing that better. So that's from a, that's from a very like city perspective. Yeah. I think the city people, Uh the real people of Columbus, I mean, I think that like our art scene is getting super exciting. Uh I think more public art, making Columbus really a place that feels more inclusive and is beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. And 
you know, we put some, we put some uh, uh, money forth for a program called 614 Beautiful that allows you to create art in every community and gives you funds to do that. But I think like as a community, that's happening. Yeah. Right? Like we do that. Like we have an incredible art community that cares about that and is, they're like natural developers. We see that on in Franklin and we saw that in the short north, right? Like that's who artists are. And so I'm really excited about that. I think like as a city, what we could be doing better. Okay. Again, people. Yeah. We need to go all in on Columbus, man. Like we need to like love it. Well, and isn't actually that kind of an extension of we are not good storytellers? Yeah. And I've, I'm on a slightly new kick of like, maybe we don't do a good enough job of understanding and acknowledging our history. Yeah. uh, And telling that to folks and like, you know, I have one friend who does indeed have the city crest tattooed on him, but there's not like people have Ohio tattoos. They don't have, I have a Columbus tattoo, right. but yes. like, yeah, they, it's, like impo- Cleveland, it's important. Pride Cleveland is people, important. Cincinnati people. And that, and, and it's not, and it's, I lived in Cleveland for a little while. It's not like rooted in like just their like sports teams. It's, it's like they go hard for their city. It's funny. Quick, quick story. I yeah. was getting on a plane and I met a gentleman. We were like crazy layover because of all these storms. And I met a gentleman who was from Cleveland. He had done some work in Columbus and he was like, Columbus has no, um, no like, personality like no vibe like no and I was like pissed like I was like yes we do and it was funny because he was trying to tell me he's like well what is it right and I'm like but I mean like what's Cleveland's vibe like just being gritty or just being you know like and this is like no knock to any other city or no knock to whatever I'm just talking about us like I think like we need to like love our city people will go hard for their neighborhood they won't always go hard for the city and i feel like that's almost like the vibe of columbus is to be like anti like to love and hate columbus at the same mm. time maybe that's our vibe i don't know but i i do think that we just need to like like at one point when we when when like columbus really like happens like we're the second largest city in the midwest and people need to remember that outside of yeah. chicago yeah about to be the 13th largest city in the country, right? Yeah. Like, we have amazing things going for us. But, like, don't get on the bandwagon, like, once, like, Columbus hits. When we when we really are, like, baby Chicago, and people are like, oh, my God, Columbus, I don't uh, I don't want your love then. I need your love now. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> yeah. Lourdes, thank you for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite family member. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.